Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues. Today's topic is, is yours a toxic relationship? Let's find out. Hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandel, and you're listening to Kinda Dating. Aisha is not here with us today, but you know where you can find her? On social media, at Aisha Says Dance across the board, because she's much, much, much better than I am. Um, we're also on social media, so please make sure to follow us there. We're at Kinda Dating across the board. I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha Chandel official on Facebook. And hey, guess what? you kind of like what you heard, can you do us a solid and leave us a five-star rating or review wherever you get this podcast? Also subscribe and tell your friends. Okay. All the business is done and we are ready to jump in. Okay. I was just on these guys' podcasts and I'm so excited to have them here um, as fellow dating podcasters in this wonderful but tumultuous world that we live in. They are BFFs and hosts of one of the best dating podcasts out there, 51 First Dates. Welcome, Kimmy and Liza. Thank Hello. you. Okay. Thanks so much for having us. I am We're blushing. So you were so kind. Also, you getting through your business so quickly is inspiring to us who cannot seem to do that. You guys are fucking brilliant. And My business, shit. and when I do the business at the top of the podcast, I sound like a toddler who's asking for a bank loan. I'm like, eh, Instagram, and it's it's lengthy. I'm it's very so impressed. awkward, though. I mean, like, I, f- I feel like I know everybody skips through it, because I yeah. kind of skip through it when I listen to Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a good point. I'm always like, I know what this part is, boop, boop, boop. But yeah. you got to do it. And guys, if you're listening, please, we do put in time and effort to uh, share those things with you because we need your support. So support 51 First Dates and support kind of dating. Guys, the way you start your podcast with some fun questions, we have a kind of a simpler one, but we ask every guest, single or in a relationship. Liza, you want to kick it off? I am in a relationship. And I'm in a relationship as well. But Liza, you're engaged. I am. I am engaged. We were talking a little bit on our episode, on the 51 First Dates episode that Natasha was so kind to join us on. Uh, That's, spoiler, we recorded five minutes ago. So it's all very (laughs) top of mind. Um, But yes, I am a person who never thought I would get married who is getting married. (laughs) And all of the ethical considerations that go along with that. Are you actually getting married? Oh. That's a great question. Yes. Um, Okay. And, you know, I can, I can, I don't know if everyone wants to hear me. I feel like it's very annoying to be like, Mary, no, is nobody done, here and knows. My wedding is this date. Nobody um, here knows. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just always felt like it was um, not something that was for me. And then I was, uh, I, I never thought I would meet anyone who would want to be around me that much, um, which speaks to other self esteem issues, et cetera. But um, I did. And, and he's the best and he's my best friend and I'm so lucky and all of that cheesy bullshit, absolutely, like, to a T. Uh, and he wanted to get married and 
I wanted to be with him forever. And I, he kind of pitched me on it as like the importance of this is a ceremony to bring together your community to mark the occasion of the start of a new family. And it's not, I was like, I was joking that like, you know, my dad was going to pay him, like all this stuff that happens. Like I always had these views that it was old fashioned and that it, it was an agent of, you know, the, patriarchal society that oppressed women for a long time, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and um, now I am going to just join that uh, patriarchal institution <laughs> and hopefully make it a little bit a little bit more um, modern and less problematic. <laughs> I think that's the, the key to it, right? That it's just, it's not marriage that's making something. It's what people make of it. And you know what? You're allowed to evolve in your life. And that's what's cool. If we stayed the same people, should it be really boring? So Completely. it's good yeah. that you're experiencing whatever is right for you in that moment. Yeah. And I'm excited about it now. It's funny because I've I've had mixed feelings about it and had confusion about it. And I think even some of my friends have had some whiplash around my like declarations that I would never get married. And I understand why it's annoying. Um, but I I also think that like when the person you, you know, love so much. Like, I didn't think someone like him existed. And I'm so, so happy in my relationship, even many years into it. I'm still super just in love with him and happy with him and think we have such this great life and all of this. When something's so important to him, of course I want to do that for him. And also his vision of it became like what I— it, the way he presented it to me, I was like, oh, this actually is really beautiful and special. And the act of bringing people together to, like, you know, bear witness and also hold you accountable to, like, the promises you're making to each other um, did, like, hold some meaning all of a sudden in a way that it had never for me. But I also grew up without any, like, cultural or religious background. And in his—he uh, grew up with a little bit more— of a religious background. Um, he's Jewish and and the marking of life cycle events is a big part of his culture. And so also looking at it in that way, um, he brought new perspective to me on, on why it mattered. That. I love that he pitched you. That's yeah, like, totally. that's something that I would want. I'm like, I don't, I feel like somebody would definitely need to convince me. My parents say that they're like, you would need somebody to drag you down. And I was like, probably. Kimmy, yeah. you're, and you're in a relationship. I am, yes. And first, I will How? just say, Liza, as one of your friends, I would have been pissed if you didn't have a celebration of your love in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. So I'm really happy you're getting married. I don't care if you changed your mind. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I I am in a relationship. I feel like I'm, you know, years behind Liza because I have complicated feelings about being in a relationship because for my whole life, I was mostly single. Um, I was never in a really true, serious relationship until three years ago. When for our podcast, you know, with the title 51 First Dates, I started going on dates in a way that I had not before um, in New York where I was living. And then, lo and behold, finally met uh, someone. And, you know, you can go back and listen to those if you're interested. But, uh, yeah, 13 so, dates in. So I'm spoiler. he was one of those 51? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this wow. Spoiler, but he was date 13. Lucky 13. I I promise this, like, wasn't a plan. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And so, wait, you said that you were, you guys, uh, or was it just Kimmy who started the, the 51 dates and you guys were, like, sort of talking about it together? 
Yeah, I was kind of her Andy Richter. I was sort I of like it. there to, you know, cheerlead her and and ask her questions about dates and um, try to like look at her dating patterns with her as like a friend. I love um, that. Yeah. And then, but you said, Kimmy, you started dating differently for those 51 first dates. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, I think, you know, it, it wasn't like I was sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, just waiting for someone to find me. But in some ways, I was. I think my time dating in New York was like hooking up with male friends who like then didn't want to date me, but I couldn't get over that. And then as dating apps came out, I only had gone on like a few dating app dates, but then like would continue casually dating that person for far too long. I'm talking up to two years, you know, when like, or, you know, off and on. And that was like just torturing myself over and over and judging my entire self-worth on, will somebody love me? And just, it was pretty dark. And my therapist was like, you haven't really done the dating like a lot of people in New York do, like going on dates, like a lot of dates. Like you honestly should set a goal, like a hundred dates, she said. And I said, no, cut it in half, get my friend Liza involved and make a project out of it. And maybe I'll do it, you know, maybe. And then- I love it. That's amazing. I mean, that's definitely a great uh, intentional way. And we talked about that on your guys' podcast about intentions. And it's a great intentional way of dating. Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep. We collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. So, you know, this topic, like we're talking about toxic relationships in this episode, which, uh, you know, we'll start right off the top of saying like we're, we're not necessarily getting into the abusive stuff. Um, but just just I think there are general toxic relationships that I think more people find themselves in uh, than not nowadays. Um, but, uh, you know, what is a toxic relationship in your guys' opinion? And have you guys been in any? I mean, yes. <laughs> Kimmy, do you want to go first or what's, I, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> I feel like every relationship except for my current relationship I've been in has been toxic to some degree, but I think largely that was of my, not, I don't want to say my own fault, but due to immaturities that both parties carried. Um, and I think almost all of it came down to like an inability to communicate about our feelings. Mm. And like, I think really the, the way that I felt about the different relationships, and when I say relationships, I also mean like situationships, like long-term sex friends, like, like that's an umbrella term, and actual committed relationships. This is covering all of those. All of it. Um, I feel like it's always come down to, like, one person wants something that the other person doesn't want. There's, It just always feels like it's because somebody wants more from the other person than they are willing to give. Mm-hmm. And that leads to so many hurt feelings and so much pain and so much angst and so many, like, really poorly worded drunken texts and, like, 2 a.m. phone calls to say all the feelings you've been bottling up for eight months or whatever it is. Um, and 
I feel like if I could just go back in time to my 18-year-old self and be like, just say how you feel and say what you want and then walk. You know, it's it's so simple, I think. It's difficult to avoid, but I do actually think it's simple and about communication. But for me, that's always been what it is, is either I am like pining for somebody who wants to keep me in a certain category or the opposite. Somebody wants... I was in a couple situations where the man I was dating wanted a lot from me. Mm. Like, they wanted me to be present for them 24-7. Their total social network, like, their connection to the world wanted to jump into my life and be present in every aspect of it Mm. in a way that I wasn't comfortable with. And that happened twice. And that was also very toxic. And it was also about my inability to say, like, no, I think you need to have your own friends and your own life. I like to have my relationships be very, like, boundaried and and to overlap only in certain realms. But it took me a very long time to learn how to say that and how to actually, like, walk the walk. The walk. Yeah, that person sounds very codependent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I think happens a lot to, to women who date men. I think a lot of times men tend to rely on the women in their lives for a lot. Like, they want us to be their therapist, their emotional support system, their best friend, their, you know, plan maker, their, like, group social organizer. It's Um, so true. And it's exhausting. I've found myself buckle under the weight of those expectations in a couple different situationships, relationships. Yeah, I definitely say that to— almost anybody I date, like, in the last few years where I was like, I have no interest in being your mom. I actually don't even want to be your best friend. I have best friends. I have great best friends since I was a kid. Um, I was like, you need to find your own people. I don't want to be your teacher. I don't want to be your fucking guide. or I just want to be your girlfriend. So, like, treat me as that and not a crutch Mm -hmm. for you figuring out all your other life shit for you. Um, and and that, like, actually, I feel like has changed a lot of things in my life also because I was like, I found myself being a teacher for everybody. And, and then that becomes, like, you know, its own drama. Yeah. Um, Kimmy, what about you? Yeah. You know, and knowing we were going to talk about this, I was thinking, you know, how would I kind of define a toxic relationship for myself? Again, with the caveat that I have been fortunate not to be in an abusive relationship or in anything that was truly, like, emotionally manipulative or anything like that. But I think the the litmus test for me, if I look back on all, all those like half relationships that I was in or just men I was still pining over because I loved the challenge of it all, um, the, the litmus test was kind of like, does this person make me feel more anxious or more insecure or do they make me feel more secure and less anxious? Mm-hmm. And I think it's not that there was anything wrong with these men, though I, I certainly called some of them at 2 a.m. at certain points in my 20s. Super <laughs> great. Love alcohol. Um, makes you do great things. But <laughs> I think that now looking back, I I was actually in like a very toxic relationship with myself where I was looking for validation. That's a little cheesy, but I was in therapy, but working through some things, looking for validation in other people, um, also, throughout my 20s, my mom was very sick with cancer and ended up passing away, but it was like a 10-year I'm illness, and I don't bring that up to get super heavy, but I think about, in hindsight, like, wow, I was not dealing with so much of that knowing I was going to lose someone. I was so afraid to, like, lose someone new and thus would go after these relationships that were more toxic than healthy, that were with 
people who are quote unquote unavailable or just people who said, no, thank you. I would go after that because I, I was already hurt. I had already lost them. So, you know, maintaining that tie, if I could, felt somehow less painful than like being vulnerable and maybe, you know, falling in love and getting hurt more. I mean, that's a lot of like psychoanalyst analysis on myself. So who knows? But (laughs) that's kind of like when I think of my toxic relationships, it's a bunch of that. Yeah, no, I actually uh, was going to ask you guys that to say like when— when you guys were in toxic relationships, did you find that it happened at a certain time in your life? Like for me, the two big toxic relationships, obviously one, the listeners know, was abusive. The other, I call him Bruce Lee on the show. He's not, I didn't date Bruce Lee because obviously Bruce Lee's dead. But um, he was, you know, this four-time martial artist guy. And it was just this on-off for a year that fucking drove me nuts. Um and both times, it was when I had just moved. I, I was ended up in the abusive one because I had just moved to New York from Toronto. I was alone. This person love-bombed the shit out of me um, and then started pulling away or doing the disappearing act. And then, but it's, uh, you know, I found the common thread to be, and then the second time was when I first moved to LA, I met Bruce Lee my first month. And same kind of thing, like just didn't have any real friends at the time here and no life. And so the first person I found a connection with, I thought it was more. Also, he lied and made me think it was more and was, again, love bombing and feeding me all that shit. And and then I found both of them doing the disappearing acts, you know, where when I would ask for more, it would be like, bye. And then when they were ready— come back into your life and then love bomb again and then bye. And and it was just this on, off, on, off, on, off of appearing and disappearing um, that kind of drove me fucking nuts. But I found it was when I was really lonely and clearly seeking a connection um, or somebody to rely on. And I wasn't enough at the time. Um, Do you guys find that it happened at a certain points in your life? That's a great question. I mean, I feel like I know you're a big you're a big therapy fan as well, but I kind of tend to look at my life as like pre-therapy and post-therapy. Yeah. Um, or at least my adult life. Um, I feel like my pre-therapy self was very much about like seeking people because I thought they uh proved that I was worthy in some way. Mm-hmm. And they and that they fit some kind of image. You know, I had this kind of image of myself as like I took myself way too seriously when I was in college. I was like a big like I want to be a playwright and smoke cigarettes and like I'm very heady and like that was kind of my image of myself. Like vomit. I'm so I feel so uh, sad that I tried to be you know like Judy Funny or whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> was Doug a thing in Canada? The TV show Doug. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Doug. Okay. I'm referencing yeah. Doug's sister, love. Judy, yes, which yes. is an absurd thing to reference. As no, I just, love it. <laughs> I'm so sorry to your Gen Z listeners. No, like, I love it. I feel like Doug is making a comeback. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Doug was great. It was a great TV show. Lots but the balding, main character. Though. Yeah. Yeah. He was very bald. But he had a sister one. who really loved Shakespeare and wore berets and sunglasses all the time and, like, thought she was the <laughs> shit. And she was, like, a theater kid. It was That was very my—what I wanted to be, which is absurd. But I feel like I, I looked to um, 
men who I wanted to date who I thought would kind of like prove that I was that thing. I, I saw men as like clothing almost that I couldn't afford. I had to like mm. figure out a way to get it. Um, and that was one like very particular form of um, a toxic relationship. This like kind of relationships that stemmed out of my low self-esteem. I would hang on to people for years. I remember I was mm-hmm. dating someone and he was uh, older than me and was go- leaving to study abroad and was like, yeah, we'll see. Like, maybe we'll talk. Maybe we won't. Like, maybe we'll date when we come back. Maybe we won't. And I was just like, well, you're the only person for me. And um, I am on, you know, I'm just here. I'll wait. Like, blah, blah, blah. This whole romantic notion. Uh he now only dates men, so, you know, yeah, it didn't, yeah. so didn't go that. my way. Uh, but um, it was very—that was, like, one form. And then when I went to therapy and started being able to communicate, I actually found that I had been poor—I had been fully, like, the type of person who was, like, obsessed with the men I was obsessed with. I was mm-hmm. all on board. I was, like, not the, like— um, sit in the bushes with binoculars type of human, but just a couple notches below that in terms of like obsessive about people I was interested in romantically. And when I started going to therapy, I realized that I like didn't know how to communicate, didn't have any self-esteem. And I started actually, when I was dating, wanting space to figure out who I was Mm -hmm. and what I wanted. And that's when I got kind of arm's length, like stay away from me. Like I can't be everything to you. And that, so, so those two forms of toxic relationships, like really were pre-therapy and post-therapy, starting therapy. Um, And then it changed when I met someone who we were at the same point in, like, being able to talk about our feelings. And he taught me a lot about talking about my feelings. And I I think that, yeah, the relationship I'm in is the only relationship I've had that I don't consider in some way toxic. Yeah. so I don't know if I had, like, I don't think there's a pattern. I think it just was, like, therapy and meeting someone who also, like, wanted to figure out how to communicate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's funny. I'm thinking about, like, what you said, Natasha, with moving and, Liza, what you said with low self-esteem. You know, aside from what I mentioned about, you know, having something in your life, like a sick parent that you can't control, so then maybe seeking some control over these, you know, quote-unquote relationships— I think I also, when I had some low self-esteem about where I was at in my career in my 20s or other things that were just bumming me out, I think that's when I extra held on to, you know, some not so great relationships that inspired all this anxiety, but honestly gave me something to like think about and wonder about and problem solve about. And when I met my current boyfriend, I was, I had applied already to grad school. And even if I didn't get in, I was like, I'm going to move to LA because I'm now in LA. I was in New York forever. Liza's in New York. Um, And I think something about that, like if this was, if anything was going to work out, you know, we were doing a podcast. Yes. Like, so who's going to want to go out with a girl who talked about them a little bit on a podcast? And then also I'm probably moving. I think I was also excited about, you know, a new beginning and then took some pressure off, you know, relationships working out or that being my worth. And um, then when I got into grad school, it was like, yeah, great. A relationship doesn't, it won't fix me. And there's this other exciting thing that feels like it's quote unquote fixing me right now or it's something to look at. Yeah, I love that. I mean, Kimmy, you said something a, a little earlier that I think is also very important 
to mention is like you were feeling very anxious in a lot of those toxic relationships. Because like I, again, I think that a lot of people think they're not in one. They, it, we have a hard time admitting that the the person that we love might actually be unhealthy and toxic for us. And so we sort of live in this denial. And I don't know about the messages you get, but most of the messages I get are basically describing that to me. It's somebody that they felt they had a deep connection to, and now suddenly this person is pulling away, and they're trying to remain attached, and then they're asking me, what do you think I should do? And I always say, my my response is always, I don't know exactly what's happening between you guys. I'm hearing one part of a story. My only shift would be ask yourself, are you feeling joy and are you feeling happy? And if if that's a behavior, do you like feeling this way? And if you don't like feeling this way, then there's a problem. And, you know, there's, um, uh, her name is Dr. Lillian Glass, and she is uh, the author of a book called Toxic People. And she defines a toxic relationship um, in two ways, which I really loved, where she said, um, any relationship between people who don't support each other, where there's conflict and one seeks to undermine the other, where there's competition and where there's disrespect and a lack of cohesiveness. And she goes on to say, while every relationship goes through ups and downs, a toxic relationship is consistently unpleasant and draining for the people in it. She says the first and simplest way to sort of spot a toxic relationship is persistent unhappiness. If a relationship stops bringing joy and instead consistently makes you feel sad, angry, anxious, or resigned, like you've sold out, it may be toxic. Because mm. I feel like, um, again, you know, we end up in this in this thing that I do think that some level of a toxic relationship is abusive. I, I do think that there is some level of that. But... I think in nowadays, in the sort of day-to-day of like, you know, ghosting and slow fading and doing all of this to people, like we forget that a lot of the things that we're in are just unhealthy for us. And that if, and, and that feeling of being happy is just not there anymore or is being outweighed by the negatives. Like, did you yeah. guys ever do that? Because I used to do that when I was in a, it, to it was so dumb. I was like, why didn't I do this right in the beginning when I was in these toxic relationships? But at the end, I would write a pro and con list. Mm. And at the yeah. end, I was like, holy shit, this con list is actually like a lot more than the pros. A hundred percent. Or like, have you guys ever done this, the thing of, I after I've been out of a relationship for a while, occasionally, especially, I have a habit of getting out of relationships and then like really like, only remembering good things. And I'll sometimes go back and look through our text threads or even like emails or G-chats when that was a thing to like, in my mind, reminisce and be nostalgic. And looking through those texts every single time, I've been like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not in this relationship anymore. It's incredibly like, oh my God, it's so easy to only remember like, whatever, how good the sex was or how much fun we would have when we would go out and get fucked up all night or whatever. And it's... um you know, not the whole truth. But yeah, something you were saying, Natasha, that really stuck out to me is like, I think, and is tricky, but I'm wondering what you guys think of this. Because I feel like I used to think that relationships were not toxic when I didn't think anyone had any malicious intent. 
And I've been really lucky in that, like, I don't think any of the people I've ever dated were trying to hurt me or make me feel bad or belittle me. I just think uh, we were so wrong for each other, and it became so draining on both parties. And that the the belief that I had at the time in those relationships that nobody was a bad person and no one was trying to do anything wrong to the other person kept me in them. And I think that's a really tricky, like, layer of thinking that was, I needed to figure out was incorrect. Yeah. Kimmy, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting only because, like, from a kind of a different perspective of being in things where I would have those reactive outbursts, even though I wasn't really saying what I wanted with this person I was dating, or they were pretty upfront with me. Liza, as my friend, you would remind me that, like, he's not a bad person deep down. And that was actually really helpful. Like, I look back and I was so angry. You know, there wasn't, ma- like, he wasn't intending to hurt me, let's say, or some of these people that I dated. They're like, two, I, top of mind. I'm thinking, Liza, you know, you really helped me through. Um, And that helped me in a way. I couldn't see it while I was in it. But I think it's a really interesting, bigger question that you bring up about the intention. Because, I don't know, I'm sure there are some in my relationship now, I feel myself being like a little bit toxic sometimes. Not all the time, but a little bit like, I just want things to go my way and it's not pretty. And then I have to apologize. And I'm like, that wasn't the ugly side of me that just got kind of, you know, bratty. I don't, you know, so. And I think that's okay. I mean, to be honest with you, we're all going to make mistakes in relationships. None of us are perfect. And and it's, it's normal to go through phases where sometimes you are like controlling. I think I think it becomes unhealthy when you guys are communicating that and nothing changes or nobody's mm. apologetic and there's no remorse to it. They're just like, this is what I want and fuck you. Um, you know, Liza, what you said I think is also really important. Like it was a big shift for me to learn that they weren't, it didn't, it wasn't about them being good or bad. It had nothing to do with that. It was, and you are 100% right. I totally stayed in things because I was like, well, they're not a bad person. And I know that they don't mean to do this. And But that does, still doesn't make it okay. And mm-hmm. it still doesn't make, um, make it didn't, uh, it wasn't a substitute for the behavior I needed to feel good. Um, and so when I finally like, you, oh my God, like you really, hit it on like the nail on the head where I do remember now going like, oh, once I put it away from my head that they, it, it's not about their good and badness. It's about how I feel that I, I remember making those shifts and, 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 and recognizing that what I was in was unhealthy. I mean, I, I would love to know what you guys think are some signs of toxic relationships. Like what were some of your signs? Um, and just in general. Yeah, I think top of mind, Liza, we can like ping pong this one if you want. But like, you know, communication, you know, pulling away and communication felt like an earlier, an early sign. You said this on our podcast, Natasha, but when you know really early something that's going to be wrong with your relationship later, that's a really early sign that has always played out for me to end up being like, yeah, no, that was pulling away. That person was, you know, you hear those magic stories about someone, you know, just being out of a relationship, but then getting into a new one or whatever, the urban legend kind of relationship stories. But 
I think you learn pretty early through their communication style um, where they're at in terms of availability. And I will say that doesn't mean if someone pulls away at first, you can't like say, hey, I, I feel you pulling away. Then they could say, oh, hey, you're right and change. It's not a deal breaker, but I think that's definitely been a pattern for me. Yeah. Yeah. And Natasha, I think you touched on this already, but a, a huge one for me is just how I felt when I was with them. You know, if I felt anxious most of the time, or not anxious, but an inability to be myself or the feeling that I would be judged for the way I felt, um, even about small things, the feeling that I had to, like, try to be cool Mm -hmm. or not make a big deal out of um, being annoyed at them or frustrated with them or that feeling of, like, I am constantly watching myself when I'm around you. And again, like, I, I don't think if any of my exes are listening, I, I I genuinely think I've dated people who are really good, kind people whose particular insecurities and baggage did not mesh well with mine because I was a very poor communicator. Um, but when I was with someone who made me feel like totally comfortable and seen, I was like, oh, I can communicate in these confines because I know you're not going to like, me telling you that I need a night alone is not going to make you spin out into this, like, you don't love me, you know, like, so, so that was always, um, in hindsight, that was a big one, just if I'm thinking about how I'm acting when I'm around the person. Yeah, uh, I remember not being able to ask for what I needed. Like, the other person always dictated the shots, like, in terms mm-hmm. of when we would hang out, when we would do anything, when we would talk, you know, and um, and even the way they said things, like I remember, especially in the on-off ones, it was it's something I hate now. Like I say on this podcast, if anybody says this fucking word to me, I will I will like it's like a hard no. Um, where somebody would, you know, I used to think it was very cute when a guy would be like, "You should have drinks with me tonight." Like you know, mm. it's like a very like, "Oh yeah, you should have drinks with me tonight." I'm like, "Are you fucking asking me?" Now I'm very like, "Ask me." If I'm available and politely and if it's a fucking date and then I will have drinks with you tonight. But not like, hey, you should have drink. But back then I used to think it was so cool and hot. And I was like, oh, he's saying like I should have drinks. He's like being very confident and, you know. And now I realize like how disrespectful that was. And I'm sure it was his own insecurities. But um, but it was a, in a way of them dictating the shots. Mm-hmm. And never really asking my opinion. And then, of course, when I would say, hey, we should grab drinks, same kind of thing, to try to be the cool girl playing the same game he was, it was always like, I'm not available. Or yeah. I used to get the, like, I've literally had, you know, Bruce Lee plan a whole date, be like the whole week, like, okay, this Friday we're going on this thing cancel everything. I like left work early, did all this stuff. And then he said, he suddenly ghosts me. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And he goes, oh my God, I have to work late. And then I go to a restaurant. I was like, fine, fuck it. I'm going to go to a restaurant to dinner with my other friend. So I went with my friend and Bruce Lee was there (gasps) just hanging with his brother. Oh. And then when I came up to him, I was like, hey, what happened? And he's like, what happened? Literally as if nothing had happened. Ugh, that's another red flag. The lack of remorse or like accountability. Like yeah. fine, you ghosted, you messed up. Just take some level of responsibility for that. And if the person doesn't or doesn't at least apologize sincerely, you gotta go. And yep. another one that just popped into my head is like, 
make if you then I'm not saying you did this, Natasha, but then if you found yourself making excuses for him to that friend you well, were I at did. dinner with, like I made so many excuses, yeah. and unfortunately, sometimes you just have to you know make those excuses until you finally see it. Your friends can't really talk any sense into you, and that's just how it goes with feelings. But yeah, that's really. I'm sorry that happened to you. No, no. I mean, like I said, I'm so grateful now for all those experiences because now I I just know so much better. But when I look back at myself, I'm like, wow, how did I fucking, how how did I not like slap that little bitch across his face? Like (laughs) I I really had to to control my every part of my, I, I, you know, I can see red and I'm like, I had to control every part of me to not fucking lash out at this restaurant. But it was so disrespectful is the point, you know? And I think a lot of the messages I get from people, the behavior they're describing is just that. And we don't want to see it as that because we don't want to think this person that we really liked and have invested energy in and attention, given attention to, is capable of disrespecting us. Because again, maybe it comes back to Liza's point that we think it has to do with good and bad, you know, Mm -hmm. but objectively, we're nobody to decide who's good and bad. Yes, there are some fucking bad people straight up. But um, most of the time, people are just like they are in their own, they're they're having their own shit. They're going through their own shit. Um, But I want to ask you this, you know, Okay, we know people are going through their own shit. You guys are very aware individuals. You've gone the, to therapy. You know that you go through shit. Other people go through shit. Does that mean we have to solve everybody else's shit, though? No. No. I, I mean, I think it's—I've I've started relationships with people who I knew had—I mean, everyone has shit. I have so much shit. I'm, I'm a mess to deal with. But I feel like it's nobody's responsibility— to solve anybody else's shit. However, you can, and I think in a, in a healthy, like, non-toxic relationship should be a support system in solving that person's shit. Should be an encourager of, like, hey, maybe you need to ta- think about going to therapy. Like, it's great. It's worked for me for these reasons. Check it out. Like, oh, you had a hard therapy session. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to hold hands and just, like, watch something? And, you know, like, being a support system for someone who shows willingness to solve their shit, I think, is really powerful. But I think that the willingness to solve it and, like, the action on solving it has to be apparent from the other person. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that's a person ready to be in a relationship. Someone who's like, yep, I can do it. I, like, I do want to change. I do want to adapt. I do want to grow. I want to get better. I want to also, like, be responsive to your feedback. And this goes both ways. Like, I I hope that I am always willing to, like, change and get better and be responsive to my partners. Like, hey, you're not listening to me. You're looking at your phone. Like, can you put your phone away for dinner because it makes me feel like I'm eating dinner alone and it makes me feel mm-hmm. bad about myself. You know, like, st- like that was a conversa- a quarantine conversation we had last week. And it was like, I had to be like, oh, yeah, I really bad habit and it makes <laughs> you feel bad about yourself. So I got to stop doing, you know. So I feel like that's, to me, it's all about willingness and energy that comes from the other person. Like you have to be supporting, you have to be the supporting character in somebody else's growth. You can't be the protagonist. <laughs> And also, it sounds like when you guys are communicating, there isn't a, uh, like, it's not like a put-down or a criticism. It's like somebody expressing their feeling, but they're not saying to you, you know, you're such a bitch for using the phone while we're having dinner. Like, that becomes, and I think that's, again, some of these signs of these toxic things where somebody is criticizing you and putting you down and unable to communicate what the crux of the conversation is. 
Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I think that that I I also by no means want to pitch like I have a perfect relationship. I don't. No, of but, course. Um, you know, I think like this phone, this phone thing, for example, uh, he was like being a little bit of a petulant butthead to me every time I picked up my phone. <laughs> and, you know, we do like, I don't think we've ever fallen into like name calling or anything that's really like nasty, but he was being really like passive aggressive and like, mm. yeah, buttheaded to me about it. <laughs> and I was like, why are you being a butthead? And he was like, I don't know, you just like your phone more than you like talking to me. And I had to be like, what's going on? And usually he plays the role of, like, dealing with my petulance and buttheadedness. Um, but it did take a little bit of, like, okay, what is this really about? And he was, and it was like, well, I'm feeling a little disconnected because you've been watching a lot of content. You've been on your phone a lot. And I kind of feel like we haven't, like, hung out even though we're together 24-7 in a small New York City apartment. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's not like—I don't think it's always, like, gorgeous and evolved— um, but it's just like, yeah, that, that we both were like, okay, let's like have this conversation, however long it takes. Let's get to the crux of why you're bothered and like, let's figure it out together. And it, it always feels like we are like figuring something out together rather mm-hmm. than like having our own feelings separately and taking them out on each other, if that makes any sense. So, yep. But really there's does, absolute yeah. childishness, childishness sometimes. So <laughs> when we're at the first stage of figuring it out. Yeah. And Kimmy, what do you think? Do you think you you need to fix people? It's interesting. Like, oh man, as a, a big butthead many times in this quarantine, I'm thinking like I, I the, the impulse to fix someone or solve someone's problem probably comes from a loving place or even in like an earlier relationship. You really like them. You don't want them to be upset. But the reverse of that, expecting someone, especially like in a romantic relationship or friendship, honestly, to be able to solve your problems is totally toxic. And I think, you know, Liza captured it better than I'll be able to right now. It's more about you can't expect someone to fix your problems. You also can't expect to be able to fix your partner's problems. Because sometimes, I don't know if this is fair to put male, female. I think that my loving boyfriend, when something's wrong, wants to find an immediate solution to that problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like, I just want you to Liza, to your point, like hold my hand or watch TV with me. Like we can't solve it right now. That's giving me more stress. So I think it's this this in between, between those two kind of poles to Liza's point where you're working on solving something together or finding a way to make it better together. That's kind of the sweet spot, I think. Um, you, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm like a quote unquote fixer or was that in my relationships or pseudo relationships, but I have friends who are. And I think that's like a very big burden to take on. And it goes along with people pleasing sometimes. And I don't know. I, I mean, just, I was hundred yeah. percent that. You were. I yeah. was I was a fixer. I was codependent. I the, the biggest thing that I learned that helped me make the shift was recognizing that I was codependent, which I never thought I was because I've always been very independent. Um, But I think codependency, people don't completely understand it, which is, you know, it's not just that you get this, you're in this relationship where you both need each other. It's also when you make a relationship about the other person. The relationship was never about me. I always ended up dating these guys who needed fixing. And and in a way, as you learn their personal stories, you go, oh, they're like this because of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the abusive relationship, he had been abused. 
And so when he was abused as a child, I was like, oh, this is why he doesn't understand intimacy. And this is why he, it's what he really, he really loves me inside. And he just needs to be loved more to feel safe. And then I had to learn like, no, yes, you could. And I felt very bad that he was abused, but being abused doesn't make it okay to abuse somebody else. And and so, you know, I had to come out of this pattern where I kept making it about the other person so I didn't have to deal with my issue, which was the low self-esteem or not being able to walk away, not know. I had no boundaries. I didn't know how to have boundaries. So that was like a big thing for me. And I had to learn all that, but I wasn't learning it because I kept making it about the other person, what you guys kept saying, like justifying Mm -hmm. why somebody was the way they are. And again, categorizing into good and bad and going, this person needs more love and it will fix it. Um, And I feel like, do you guys find that a lot of like either your girlfriends who've been in that situation or listeners or your fans, like they find themselves trying to justify and, and, and uh, in a sense, fix this this person that clearly sounds broken from everything they're telling you? I mean, yeah, Liza, I feel like we can both say yes to that. And I, I, I've been that person, obviously. Uh, and I understand the impulse, you know? There, part of it is from the messaging that we're supposed to have a person, right? Part of it is just like genuinely we as humans are going to want partnership at some time. And it can feel so daunting to like start over or go seek someone else out. But I guess I would just say, and I think it's what friends like Liza said to me when I was making excuses, like think about, you know, what would really make you happy or, you know, what would be better. Like it might hurt more now. You might have more feelings right now by ending it or or just recognizing that he's not going to commit. Um, but in the long run, that opens up more space for people who will be willing to commit. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's tough because I think like so many people, we I think we all want to be kind and empathetic and helpful and good to people and support. Like I think most people are genuinely good in their hearts and they want to help other people. And I think a lot of times women feel this more more acutely. Um, not in a, in a, again, not fair. I think that men are like robbed of some of their caretaking impulses. But Kimmy and I have like a, a male friend, for example, who uh, we were talking about last night, who's very giving. And I think that givingness has been taken advantage of. And um, I think that's, it, it's a tricky thing because we do want to see the best in people. We want to help them. We want to fix them. We're all good people. Well, not all of us, but uh I think it is really, really hard, especially when you're young and figuring yourself out to understand where the lines are drawn and where it's it crosses over into kind of toxic or like um, so draining of your energy. Um, and we're not necessarily taught to like understand what we expect in return and that there should be some equity to that kind of givingness. And I just, it's a, such a hard lesson to learn. I feel like it is hard to learn without going through a couple of these. But the damage that going through them can do is really, really also tough. It's it's very hard to figure out, especially when you're like young and out there dating. 
Yeah, because I think right now we're hearing a lot of celebrities too, right? Like FK's Twigs mm-hmm. came out and and hers obviously is a more serious, um, uh, sounds like a domestic violence type of abusive relationship. Uh, the whole Marilyn Manson thing. Um, those are the extreme examples. And I know that, you know, Gail King asked FK Twigs about um, this question that, rightfully in a way was offended her, but it was that, like, why didn't you leave? And um, what do you guys, like, when you were in those situations, were there things that that kept you that, I mean, I think we've discussed a lot of it, um, of wanting to see the good in those people. Did you find it, it, there was anything else that made it harder to leave? Or did people ask you, like, why didn't you leave? I got asked that all the time. I don't know. I feel like I'm ill-equipped here because I I don't know that I was in, like, a situation that's even, you know, 1% of what, like, FK Twigs was or what you were in. Um, but I definitely yeah, asked but I myself mean, even why in those, I— Even in the toxic yeah. ones where it was, like, an on and off, yeah. you know, like— that kind of just shitty relationship where maybe somebody's ghosting you all the time or not there or just their simple words and actions aren't adding up. Like, yeah, was there something you felt that kept you there? Was it what you guys are saying? Like in therapy, you discussed, you discovered it was like self-esteem. It was self-esteem for me. I can, without a doubt, I wanted to win. There was something competitive in me. Like, yeah. I remember that feeling of wanting Mm -hmm. to win. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, not great. Not a great look. <laughs> it's so funny that we used to think of relationships like that. I used to think of it as such a power dynamic. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, oh, toxic. That was toxic of yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, I just thought it meant something bad about me if I was single. Mm-hmm. And also with a, a few of the people I dated, again, like I have been incredibly lucky. I have not been in any anything that I would even term close to an abusive relationship. I have dated some really, really lovely humans who were not the right people for me. Um, and I think that that was also a thing where I was like, oh, but this one thing about this person is so good. Or like I had a a long, a relationship where I was like, he's so like different with me when we're alone than he is Mm -hmm. with the outside world. And it was kind of like intoxicating to be like the one place he was vulnerable Mm -hmm. when he was so prickly. Um, and then I was like, it's actually not, not fun. It's an enormous amount of pressure. And then I'm having to explain to my friends all the time why, like, he's kind of an asshole. You know, it just was one of those things where it was like, uh, I was like, oh, I saw, I see the ability for him to not be an asshole. <laughs> I just um, remember that driver's license song with uh, yeah. Olivia Rodriguez where yeah. she has that line. She says something like, oh, I feel so sad that my friends can't will never see you the way I see you. And I was like, oh, I remember that feeling. A hundred percent. And then you realize, like, oh, if if most people can't see what I see in someone, that's a really big problem. Like, it's it's so true. You know, and it only takes dating one person who's, like, friendly and and nice and kind and warm all the time to be like, oh, like, I, you know, I want, like, even if people don't think he's the, he's perfect or they're perfect or whatever, you know, it's like you want, you don't want to have to feel like you need to explain anything. So true. So as we wrap this episode up, guys, I want to, you know, leave people with some, um, uh, maybe some tips on on what you guys think they could do if they find themselves in this. How do they leave? How should they plan an exit? Ooh. 
Mm. Yeah. What did you guys do? I mean, do you remember some of those? Uh, <sighs> even in the, again, not the abusive ones. We're just talking like those those regular unhealthy relationships that were making you unhappy. It's still so hard to leave. And so what made you guys leave finally? Yeah, I wouldn't call it leaving. I would call it him getting a girlfriend, like, eventually. <laughs> so I finally stopped texting. But also, I'm thinking of, like, the most recent, you know, thing. That was, we weren't still dating, but there was flirty, there were flirty texts being exchanged, etc. So him getting a girlfriend, finally just, like, cutting it off, like, not responding to texts and unfollowing. You could also mute on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It was just really painful to see these, like, stories and even if I had no right to really be as sad as I was. Uh, And then at the same time, starting just being proactive with the support of a great friend around dating. Like we did a podcast, you don't have to. Um, But just having a friend like hold me accountable and it doesn't have to be getting back out there. I don't think that's the right fix for everyone. But for me, who was hanging on to something that was not even a thing and it was from years past, uh, I needed to get back out there. And also just to be reminded that there are really nice, like, men out there, like my boyfriend, who actually just will make it known that they want to see you and how they feel about you. And not, it doesn't have to be this horrible, like, cycle of anxiety. And yeah, those are my- so true. So true. Yeah. For me, it was just like, finally starting to realize that being single is tight. It's good. It's like fun. Like, you know, it's, it's perfectly okay. It doesn't mean anything about you. And in fact, it can be so awesome and empowering and easy, like just easy that. And I think that was a big thing where I was like, this is hard and being single is easy. And so like, even if it means I don't have a boyfriend, you know, (laughs) like that's good. That's, uh, and Honestly, I got to that realization through therapy. I feel like shot for every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every time we get we sit there, we're gonna be so drunk. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I'd be dead on the it. floor right now. I've <laughs> said it twenty five times. Yeah, I feel like you know when you're in those um, those kinds of uh, toxic relationships, it literally I feel like they call it toxic in a way because it's like you're on a drug. You know, it feels so high and so low. Um, it's just always this up and down spike. Um, and when you're in that, it's so hard to break that pattern. Uh, you know, I obviously at some point you're going to have to recognize that it's that it's unhealthy, that up and down. Um, you know, I, I, I used to think up and down relationships were exciting. Yeah. And now I find them just Absolutely, like it would make me vomit in my mouth. Um, like I just love like a healthy, balanced relationship. Now um, I find that exciting. Uh, I'm so lame and old now, guys. I feel no. It's it's, it's um, such a good distinction. I relate <laughs> <but>, entirely. <laughs> and then exactly what you said, like talking to my friends, having therapy, and ending the communication was the big one. Like when I made a decision that this behavior isn't making me happy. And I tried to communicate it and they're not giving me what I want or what I need, then it really became that hard ghosting. And it's so tough because obviously, like, especially when you're dating fuckboys, like, they'll still message you. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? 
And so, you know, I had to do the, like, I hated blocking people, but I would have to block sometimes. Or I had to avoid, like, for Bruce Lee and I, he lived in the same neighborhood. He would purposely go to the spots that I would go to to run into me. And I'm like, why? Like, you are you don't want to be with me. Like, this is so annoying. So then I had to change all of my behavior, which in the beginning I thought, I don't want to lose this game. But then I was like, wait, I'm losing the game if— I'm upset every time I go to the bar I want to go to and he's there and he ruins my mood. So the better thing for me to do is to like start shifting. And then it made me discover new spots and new places that didn't, I didn't have to associate with him. Um, But I really, uh, I agree with you, Kimmy, about like the cutting off um, Mm -hmm. is very important. And then replacing them with other (laughs) people that make you happy and other things. It doesn't even have to be another dick or another pussy or whatever you're into. It just has to be maybe an activity. Yep. You know, some, like you guys did the podcast, like you said. I think that's a great way to channel what you're going through. And it doesn't always have to be a podcast or something public, but it could be like, I want to try painting classes. And that's the thing I want to do for me now. So like making it about you. Because you've constantly made everything about this other person. Those things helped me. And I think everything you guys said is also very helpful and clearly helped you. Yeah. Those, you, so I long agree. story short, we're saying fuck toxic relationships. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'll, I'll take a shot to that. As yes. Well, as therapy. Um, guys, thank you so, so much for being on Kind of Dating. Um, and listeners, please, I was on their podcast, so please make sure you listen to 51 First Dates also. Liza, Kimmy, how can everyone find you guys in your podcast? We are everywhere that you're listening to podcasts these days. Just, just like where you find Kind of Dating, we'll be there as well. We'd love you to come check out what we're doing. You can also find us at 51 First Dates Pod on Instagram. That's really all we use. We, we're aspirational like TikTok wannabes, but we haven't cracked that yet. Um, and then yeah, we have a secret Facebook group you can join. You can just search 51 First Dates Secret Facebook group where you can kind of get advice. And we also, oh, now I'm nerding out. We launched a little newsletter weekly, like good chats, some juicy deets on what we're thinking about in relation to dating. But you can find that if you go follow us elsewhere. Yeah. Nailed Sorry, it, Kimmy. I, you did, I, did, I went too You did long. our business so, so much better than I could have. I was inspired I by Natasha. That. And guys, everything that they mentioned will be in the description of this episode. So please make sure you um, click there and follow them. Um, and thank you guys again so much for being on. This was really a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for having us. This was great. Oh, so sorry. Thank I you. Just jumped was, in. Yeah, thank no, you. No, no. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Addison. It was so lovely to talk to you and meet you and always fun to, like, connect with other dating people, especially in this horrible COVID asshole-y time we live in. (sighs) So true. It's so true. Um, Well, thank you guys again. And friends, follow us. We're also on social media. We're at Kind of Dating Across the Board. Um, You know where to find Aisha. She's at Aisha Says Dance. And I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha... Chandel official on Facebook. Also, thanks so much for downloading this episode. If you could please do us a solid and tell a friend, rate and review this podcast wherever you get it, we would be so grateful. And also send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. (music) 
Kinda Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Our producer is Adam Pineless, and our intern is Karina Uribe. The opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yenick and K. Daniel Ellis.